From the mind of a former 320-pound alcoholic and fast food junkie turned accomplished ultra runner, sober warrior, plant-based athlete, and happiness guru, it's the DC Perspective. Here is David Clark. Hi, I'm David Clark, and welcome to the DC Experience, the DC Perspective, the place where we believe that anything is possible. Possible for me, possible for you. We all have that uh, superhero inside waiting to fly, and... We are on uh, AM 1460 and FM 101, The Answer, and I am very pleased to have you guys listening today. Hopefully you're out there enjoying that Saturday afternoon. And uh, let's see, or Saturday morning. This is like 8 a.m. now, isn't it? (laughs) Um, In the studio, I have my amazing daughter, Emily Clark. Hi. And she is a... uh, High school junior. She is a high school junior (laughs) and and an inspiring filmmaker, uh, photographer, photographer. Yeah. Um, what else am I missing? The, New York Rangers fan. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and also Bill Stahl is here. Bill Stahl is a uh, a local Colorado running legend. That's what I'm going to call him. He's been legend. coaching coaching track, high school, cross country. How you doing, Bill? Well, legend just means I'm old, right? That's right. That's yes. why I meant Basically. that. Yeah. That's Basically. why. That's why I said that. I meant antique. Thanks. Just antique. Don't, <laughs> don't call me sir either. It makes me feel older. Right. <laughs> Well, we have a um, a really uh, what I hope is a powerful episode of the DC perspective for you today, and we're going to talk about a subject that's um, it's a little touchy and it's it's a little uncomfortable. But we're going to talk about opiates and drug addiction, and specifically what's going on in in our state in Colorado. Because I don't know if you've been paying attention out there, but um, we're we're in a in a battle of sorts, and um, we had a uh, we've we've been and then not just in Colorado, but all over the country, honestly, opioid addiction and has been just running rampant and it's hitting our youth. It's hitting our kids. It's just an amazing to see. Um, one of the things that um, I do in my other life is is travel around and, and speak. And um, it's amazing to me every time when I go and speak, it's specifically like a middle, middle school. And, and I hear that there's already not just drugs and alcohol in middle schools, but hardcore drugs in, in middle schools. Well, my, my first experience with it was in middle school. We had an art teacher get fired because they were... Now, what do you mean your first experience, young lady? No, I'm explaining. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we had an art teacher get fired because she was selling drugs to students. I heard that. that. Wow. That was, that was that the first time I had ever, yeah. ever seen it. That was sixth grade, my sixth grade year. Well, I was speaking at a school up in, in Denver, and um, I was... I was kind of shocked because, you know, I'll go around the school or around the country rather and speak. And it's in a lot of, um, you know, metro cities, East Coast, where I grew up, where you grew up, Bill. And, you know, I for whatever reason, you know, like I, I expected there for some reason. But I always felt like safe here for some for some reason that I, I don't even understand. But and then I'm there and, and I hear I had a, a young girl, um, 13 years old and talking about kids on the playground vaping heroin. And if that doesn't scare you as a parent, then I don't know what will. Yeah. I, I just don't know what will. And, and you know, I, I got some statistics um, just in our state here in Colorado. Um, five years ago, there were 49 opiate overdose deaths recorded in, in the state of Colorado. And this last year, there were 442. And the year before that, there were 228. So it's growing exponentially. and That's staggering. It yeah. is staggering. Yeah. That's every nine hours in the state of Colorado, someone's dying of an opioid overdose. Well, it's, it's estimated that in the next decade, about 
500,000 people will die from opiate overdose. Yeah, and there's actually in, in Boston, in, in Massachusetts in particular, and in, in it's just been ravaged there. There, there are recovery high schools in place, yeah. high schools that exist with a you know, student body of 1,200, 1,300 kids all in recovery from addiction of some sort. Do you know there's one right there in Lafayette where you live? Yep. You're kidding me. I did not know that. No. Um, I forget the name of it. Do you know that um, guy? I can't remember it, but Luke actually went there, believe it or not, not because he had that issue, but he said all of the kids in that school were basically recovering one That's reason am- or another. It's one of these non-traditional high schools specifically for kids in that boat. That's amazing. And, and, and I'm, I'm so thankful that they exist, but it's, it kind of is troubling that there's a need for that, yeah. right? You know, I mean- that's it's an, it's incredible. And that's one of the things that I want to touch on. You know, this is a kind of a follow up. Last week, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, happiness was was a, 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 a subject that we touched overarching on. Overarching theme. Overarching theme. I like that. Where'd you <laughs> learn that? Where'd you, where'd you learn to speak that way? IB education. Damn. Ooh. thought she was going to say me. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, you know, this it's a good follow up to it because we have this kind of. You know, we, we we understand, you know, it's 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 common to hear, you know, the talk of ad- addiction from the perspective of is it a disease? You know, can it be classified as a disease? Is it a behavioral condition? Is it is it just weakness? Is it just, you know, no coping skills? You know, there's there's that conversation out there. And to me and, and coming from someone, I have 12 years of sobriety and I've been down that road. And my first experience with drugs and alcohol was at 13 years old. And I can say um, without a doubt that addiction is nothing more than a search for happiness with a really poor sense of direction. <laughs> you know? yeah. And that's it's really the reason why we do most of the things in life is that we're we're searching to be happy. We and we think that, you know, you know, the right partner or the right job, the right career, the right amount of money, the right, you know, whatever it is is gonna make us happy. And that sends us on this this spiral out of control and it makes us highly susceptible to, you know, um, addiction. Yeah, and I think you're pointing to a really important point is that when those behaviors are developed tends to be in high school or even middle school for kids. I mean, you never hear of anybody starting smoking cigarettes when they're in their 30s. It right, always very, happens very earlier. Yeah. Most of the trouble the kids get into starts in junior high school. From the kids I talk to, as you know, I'm a high school coach, and all these kids tell me that any behaviors they have starts in middle school. And one of the things I'm super critical of our school systems about is they keep cutting back the programs at that age. Yes. Um, the sports programs, especially, have gotten ki- uh, killed, uh, arts programs. And what are these kids going to do? They find these ways to express themselves, if you would. And it could be a lot of bad behaviors, and certainly drug use is, is one first and foremost. Yeah, and the stakes are so much different nowadays because, like, when I was a kid, when you were a kid, Bill – um, you know, it's common to like, you know, go grab one of dad's beers from the fridge, right? You know, and or right. six of them, you know, <laughs> and, or a bottle of Mad Dog or whatever it was. And you went out and you did that. And, the, it, you know, kids are reaching into the cupboard and grabbing their parents' painkillers. They are. The that's and exactly that's, what's happened. It's a lot worse. You know, my my first actual, like, friend that got involved with drugs was earlier than than sixth grade. He was one of my, uh, me and my brother's very close friends, and he's dead now because of it. That's terrible. And yeah, it was just <laughs> rough. He started at eleven. Yeah, and and that's the that's the important thing, and that's why I want to encourage you know parents especially to to talk to your kids because the stakes are really high. Um, it takes a lot of work, and I'm talking from experience here. It takes a lot of work to become an alcoholic. 
You, know, you, <laughs> you have to be dedicated to the cause. And, you know, I say that in humor, but there's truth to that. You know, it takes, it doesn't happen overnight. And it's, uh, it's not so cut and dry. It, it happens very quickly with hardcore opiates and hardcore opiates. And doctors, you know, I, I don't want to throw out an indictment on every doctor out there, but it's an unfortunate byproduct of where we are that, you know, we write prescriptions for the aches and pains of life now. And, and those, most of the people that are being prescribed medicines aren't even taking them. They're just, they're just building up this never ending supply in grandma's and mom and dad's medicine cabinets everywhere. You hear that story all the time. Yeah. That they just sit around and, and kids are curious. They they're going to find the liquor yeah. bottle. They're going to find, even if parents have a weed stash, or they're going to find those pain pills sitting around. And with the opiates, it's one time and done. One time from zero to addict almost overnight. And these pills, when they run out of them, you know, yeah, it's great when there's a supply in the cabinets, but when they run out of cabinets to to go get to, because now you have a physical addiction that you're trying to feed. Yeah. It's not right. like alcohol. Like it, it takes a long time to develop withdrawal symptoms from alcohol. <laughs> but these these opiates happen immediately, and the, and the withdrawal is very uncomfortable. And when they run out of supply, oxycotton's, Vicodins, things like this are ten, twenty, forty dollars a pill on the streets, and and no sixteen year old kid can get that. So they go to heroin, and it's a long, slow downward spiral. And heroin's about five bucks a day, and yeah. and they end up there because they they're physically sick when they don't use, and that's that. I mean, that's yeah. that's cause for alarm. So we we need to more than any time in in history, I think, to be preemptively trying to to go after this. And instead, of, I know I love sharing my story. I'm so thankful that I was able to you know overcome drug and alcohol addiction. But it's 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 a better story to to not get lost, you know, especially when we're talking about opiates. Yeah. Oh yeah. But how do you stem the problem then? So I mean, it, does it start with the doctors? Does it start with the parents, uh, the kids? I mean, all of the above. I mean, it's a multi pronged approach you got to take here. It is. But but obviously, yeah. the pre- prescribing these pills has got to cut down. It does, and and we need to be very proactive about that. You know, with with you know, following what's going on with our, you know, because there are programs out there being put forth in legislature to to limit the amount of prescriptions that are being written and to, and to try to steer medicine away from this whole idea of pain management. You know what I mean? It used to be, I was talking to a, a doctor the other day and he was in his 40s and he was telling me about how his father, who is also a doctor, is is almost befuddled by the fact that today's medicine is all about pain medicine or pain management rather. It used to be like, yeah, you broke your leg. They'd go, we're going to set your leg, take some aspirin. You're going to be in pain because you broke your leg. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and now they don't do any type of pain. You, you sprain your ankle, you, you get a little carpal tunnel. You get It's amazing. And the first re- reaction is to write that prescription. Uh, and so, it's so easy. I mean, yeah. it's so easy to get addicted. I mean, look at a guy like Brett Favre. Yes. I mean, there's a guy <laughs> who you think is on top of the world here. He's you know one of the best athletes in the world. And he talks about how he got hooked just because he had some surgery. They gave him some pills and couldn't get off of it. And you hear that story yeah. with athletes well, all the time. Like in mo- like the medical field that we've established in society today like the issue is more like let's address the let's fix the pain before we address the issue and i think that that's kind of backwards it is for sure and and who's this guy you're talking about brett Favre? i never, I never, heard, Favre, of yeah. I never, I never yeah. heard of that Favre. guy does he, does he play for a new york team or he did yes <laughs> he did he played for the jets then. in but fact I, that's what he's known for i believe but, right but i digress yeah I digress. <laughs> no it, it it really is um it really is something that um that we need to be paying attention to but on the other side of that coin, though, we're not going to have immediate 
impact on what's happening in, in legislature and, and the work we're doing to, to try to curve that, that knee-jerk reaction to prescribed pain medication. But we can prepare our children to have a little better understanding of, you know, where does happiness come from? You know, what, yeah. where's that, how is that cultivated? You know, we, we tell our kids all the time that, you know, money won't make you happy. You know, uh, we, we tell them all the time what won't make you happy, right? But we never tell them what will make them happy, yeah. you know, because that's a big part of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I know that getting money and houses and cars can make me happy, but what will? Well, and that's where I, I come back to the point about if the schools provided more positive programs for yes. these kids. I mean, I was very fortunate growing up um, when I didn't have those things just fed to me. I was out playing ball all the time. I, mean, yeah. I love sports, and that was my opiate, if you would. I was addicted to that. I mean, I was in trouble all the time for being late for dinner because I was out playing ball. Yeah. And, um, you know, if we had more of those positive programs, it's, we don't have to so much educate these kids that, hey, this is a bad road to go on. If you just give them something positive, they'll get into it. I mean, you look at what sports does for their self-esteem and just all those feelings they have growing up that where they're awkward and everything, they develop a lot of confidence playing sports. That would be far better than popping some pills I've, or shooting themselves up. Yeah, I've definitely seen because, you know, I'm a high school student. I've been going to high school for three years. I've seen a lot of athletes at least at my school, go down the opioid and drug path because um, the sports teams at my school, like, yeah, they're not the best, but the players will be ridiculed for losing a game and they'll 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 kind of rip that happiness of being a football player around them and then they don't really know what to do. That's a great point because, you know, it's, it is true that, like, we, you do get a tremendous amount of satisfaction from competing in sports and having a fit body and eating well and all those things, but we need to put that on the radar that – you know, it's not there's a there's a there's a biological evolutionary reason why we feel good, right? We were evolved to move our bodies, and we had to. We had to spend all of our time gathering food and and stuff like that. And we're designed to to make these kind of it's just surviving a single day was a tremendous accomplishment, right? And it gave us that sense of being grounded. And now we're attaching all of these things to like I'm an athlete. I need to win games. If I do that, I'm going to be happy. And that will never make anybody happy. No external thing will ever make someone happy. That happiness comes from saying it doesn't matter. It comes from being connected to the moment. It comes to enjoying the art of football, you know. And it, oh, yeah. And but, and what Emily's about, talking about there is, is unfortunately what adult perceptions have ingrained into kids anymore yes. about winning and losing. Because when I was playing ball as a kid – I didn't care if I won or lost. I was out there for the joy of the game, and that's what we should be promoting with these sports and these parental expectations that, hey, you, you, you may have played hard, but hey, you got hammered out there. makes a kid feel bad. And um, if, again, we instill the positive aspects of sports and quit imposing these uh, win-at-all-cost win mentalities, it's going to go a lot further to making sure these kids are into positive activities. Yeah, like I'll leave one of the school football games that we lost, you know, 45 to 7, and the parents will leave, like, sighing and complaining. Like, it's not the kids' fault. They went out there and they played. You know, they did their best. They practiced forever. Like, you can't get well, this, mad at the kids because then you're going to, you can, you know, ridicule them for well, doing something that makes them happy. Yeah, because what's getting, what's kind of getting just kind of bounced around where we're almost touching on it over and over again is this concept of, like, well, why do painkillers work? What causes them? You know, like you said, they're they're naturally curious, right? But the reality of an opioid is, you know, yeah, it works okay for taking it for physical pain, but it works really good to eliminate emotional pain temporarily. 
And if you're carrying around a lot of these things we're talking about, like being upset because they're they're getting hammered about not doing well in in sports or or they're just, you know, suffering the general uh, uncomfortableness of being a teenager, right? Like and then all of a sudden the opioids come into the to the picture and all of that uncomfortable awkward emotional pain goes away. And that's powerful. That puts a powerful pleasure trap on any human being, even one who is has had a chance to a, a develop, you know, coping skills and has had time on this planet to figure out a few things. You mix that into someone who's in their teenage years and they're just now coming into having any emotional landscape at all to withdraw from and it's a deadly combination. So Yeah, and where do a lot of these kids learn that behavior though? I mean They've sat in the car with, you know, Bobby sat in the car with dad and he got chewed out for the game and he wants to relieve that pain, basically. He learned that, uh, the the coping mechanism, if you would, from dad came home from work. He had a rough day. So what does he do? He goes and pours himself a cocktail or, you know, goes and smokes a joint or whatever he does. So little Bobby then has learned that same kind of behavior to go ahead and alleviate that pain. So maybe if the parents could model a different kind of behavior for what you do on a rough day would help a lot. For sure. I mean, I think... There's a great story that I heard one time about a, a lady who um, she took her son in to see or, or she went to see Gandhi and she said, my son, he's eight years old and all he wants to eat is sugar. You know, we, we've tried everything and, and all the kid <laughs> wants to do is eat sugar. She said, could you, it would mean something if you would tell him, you know, to not do that. And Gandhi said, okay, um, bring him back in two weeks. She's like, okay, well, you know. I can do that, but, you know, why not just now, you know? <laughs> so she comes back in two weeks, and, and Gandhi says, oh, great. And she walks up to her son and says, don't eat sugar. And that's it. And she goes, well, why, wouldn't, why didn't you just tell him that two weeks ago? And he said, because two weeks ago I was eating sugar. <laughs> and right. it's a true story that kind of sounds like a joke or a parable, right? But it's, that's that perspective is we can only teach anybody what we're in my opinion what we're implementing in our own lives because that's the true understanding of it right like i could read a book open up a couple pages and read something about physics and you know say something pithy about it based on those Mm -hmm. two pages but i can't teach it because i have no fundamental understanding of how it works and if we're not cultivating happiness in our own life developing healthy mechanisms to deal with stress in our own lives then it's just going to fall on dead ears when we tell our kids to do it because they're like kids are smart yeah. You know, and, and they, they go, you don't practice that. You know, you don't do that. Yeah. Why, why would yep. you expect me to do it? Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like I told Emily, um, her and her brother, she has a twin brother. They do. They're getting ready to go to college and, and, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what they want to do with their lives. And it's an exciting mm-hmm. time. And I told her, you know, this is. It's interesting because right now, you know, you have counselors and teachers and, and all these adults who are telling you, you know, you can be anything you want. You can do anything you want with your life. And I pulled Emily and David aside and said, I know you're hearing that, but I need to make sure you're believing that because most of the people that are telling you that, they don't believe it. <laughs> they don't believe it because they're not living it. Yeah. Right. You know, they're not living it. They're, 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 they, they're feeling trapped and frustrated in this life. And then they're telling kids, you know, yeah, you can do whatever you want. So, and that's not meant to be, you know, <laughs> an indictment of, of adults out there. But I mean, hey, if, it's, if, if you believe it, you believe it, you know. What, what, what good does it take if Vince Lombardi, you know, told the Packers all those, you know, beautiful things if he didn't <laughs> practice them in his own life, right? I was afraid you were going to say, don't listen to those Pollyanna dreams there. You can't do that, <laughs> despite what that teacher said. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't. It's been a strange twist. Right. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. You know, nothing about my own experience in this planet um, tells me that. You know, in fact, 
every single thing in my current life was an impossibility in my life, you know? At one time, sure. At one time. And, yeah. and I'm talking about, we can get really basic with that. Like, I couldn't wake up and not just be feel terrible because I was hungover, because I was withdrawing from alcohol, because I had, my body was 320 pounds and bloated and broken. And, and just moving myself up through a day was very difficult and very painful. And you know, I, I woke up this morning and, and I, I felt great at 4.30 in the morning and oh I got God. a two-hour run-in before I went to work and all these things that it would just I would have laughed at. <laughs> I would have absolutely laughed at it. Who, I don't even care if you can do that. Why would you want to do that? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the beauty of life. What seems impossible, you know, can become routine, you know. And, and that's, I think, the approach we need when it comes to, you know, taking our kids and setting them aside and saying, listen, you, you have everything you need to be happy in life. The fact that you're here and that you're living and that you're breathing, you, you already have everything required to be happy. You don't need to search for it. You know, it's not out there in a, in a partner, in a, in a career, in a, you know, in a, in a, in in any item that you can acquire. It's, it's there. And what you have to do to be happy is to choose to be happy for no good reason. No good reason whatsoever, choose to be happy and then protect it. And, and I think that, um, so I follow that up with something that's a little more grounded and a little less, you know, pie in the sky spiritual. <laughs> that comes from, you know, kind of letting go of this um, illusion that we have that we can somehow control. And you see this a lot, you know, I, when I was in that high school age, I was so preoccupied with what you know, everyone thought of me, you know, what they thought, what they say, what they do. And I see adults that are just as much like that now. <laughs> right. you know? Just leaving high school doesn't doesn't stop that. But letting go of that, you know, letting go of that that validation that what people say is completely irrelevant to who you are. True happiness comes from living the type of life that you're happy with. And that you're not trying to project something out there. And then you project it and you're not matching up to it. And you create this gap that you can never be happy with yourself because you don't even know who you are. Because you've projected a million different concepts to people of what you're supposed to be. And we just need, I think, my opinion is that we need to get kids to at least start thinking in those terms. That that happiness is coming from an internal perspective and not an outside and and uh, at least get them started on that path. You know, it's probably not going to grasp it, you know, when all you want to do is hang out and watch Netflix and drive a car. But at least we're planting those seeds so that, you know, when when it does start to get rocky and, and emotional and, you know, you get your heart broken and, and you get chewed out by the coach or whatever it is that, that you can stop and say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm feeling this right now, but that doesn't mean – that, um, you know, just because I'm feeling frustrated or angry doesn't mean that I am a frustrated and angry person, you know, that, that right. I don't have to do something to change that. It's okay to just feel. Yeah. And, you know, it, your discussion here, Dave, makes me think about that kid chase we've talked about quite a bit. The um, There's a kid who I coached who is in rehab right now as we speak in Colorado Springs. He uh, is 21 years old, and the kid is in, in inpatient rehab right now. The kid was addicted to cocaine, heroin, alcohol, mm. and sex. Oh, and yeah. meth. Just yeah. might as well do it all, right? Right. Um, this is a kid who started finding happiness when he was in high school by doing drugs, by um, and by having unbelievable amounts of sex, which was pretty incredible, really. Um, 
I mean, basically, that was his thing every single day. He told me at one point he was drunk or stoned every single day for five straight months. And, and th- this is a high school kid. And this was the way he was finding happiness. Right. Or so he thought. Right. Or so exactly. he thought. And, that, and that's it right there. Um, we'll, uh, we'll wind it down on that. I mean, that, that all of that stuff didn't, didn't serve any purpose, right? It just got him more and more lost. That's that happiness with a poor sense of direction kind of concept, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. And, and uh, hopefully now that he's in rehab, he's going to find that new happy direction. Yeah, he's going to have to figure out a new way. And it's never too late or too early to kind of figure out a whole new way of doing it, you know, just because it feels like this is the natural way or your own predisposed way to do something doesn't mean you're stuck in that behavior. If you're angry, feel angry and then let it go. If you're frustrated, feel frustrated and let it go. You don't have to constantly chase happiness around because you'll never find it. It's not out there. You can't get it on Amazon. You can't find it in a video game. You can't, you can't procure it in any type of way. It's not in a food item. It's, it's nothing like that. So um, anyway, thanks, uh, thanks so much, Bill, for, for being in, and Emily, of course. And, sure. Um, you can, uh, if, you, if you have questions and you want to shoot a, f- a couple things to me, uh, please do so. You can get me at wearesuperman.com. Um, there's a, uh, a contact me link on my website. You can also find me on Twitter, and uh, Instagram, Facebook at We Are Superman. And uh, I'm sure this is a topic we're going to touch um, at a future date as well. Be well out there, guys. Have an awesome day, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>